Let's pray and look into Genesis 27. Father, thank you that you build your church. Your son said that. It's not us that do it. We know that you gather and we know that's such an important thing to you. The church is your blood-bought children. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be divorced from. This is so important, Lord, that the local church realize who, who we are and why we exist. And Lord, we thank you that you have helped us understand that somewhat here. I pray you continue to help us grasp this role we have, Lord, on this earth. And as we'll see today, disobedience just leads to trouble. Faithfulness brings you glory and brings us joy. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that we would finish well, Lord, run through the tape. Because there is a great eternity awaiting us where all the hardships and troubles will be behind us. And we will be in your glory for eternity. So give us strength to run. And as we look at sobering texts as the one tonight, Lord, cause us to, to be mindful that disobedience will bring problems. And that we would be quick to repent and quickly turn and walk with you, Lord. Uh, such joy comes from those things, Lord. So bless our study tonight. In your name, amen. Entitled the sermon, Losing, The Losing Battle of Fighting God's Will. Uh, we'll see that tonight. God has a will. He designed it. He prophesied it. And yet these folks had a hard time letting God fulfill those things. Genesis 27 is an amazing text. As you remember, now the family is finally back together. They were apart from each other for well over 20 years um, with Isaac and Rebecca up north um, dealing with uh, King Abimelech and the boys were down south in Rehoboam. There they were probably managing the ranch with all the livestock and everybody there. And now they've been brought together. Finally, um, there's peace between Isaac and King Abimelech, the Philistines. They had been fighting over water and difficult times, but there's now peace. Isaac seems to be regaining some kind of worship of his father's God. He creates a permanent altar in Beersheba there, and they are worshiping, it seems, as a family. The family business is thriving. There's many persons and livestock that they have. God has richly blessed this outfit. Everything seems good, at least on the outside. But Genesis 25, 28 tells us, Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for the, for the game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. There's a problem. And it's just below the surface. And this statement made just before Esau despises his birthright was a foreshadowing of trouble that was going to come. It had been about 20 years since this event now, and so since he, since he gave his birthright to Jacob for that red stew that he wanted, it's been now 20 years. But without repentance, and I want you to think about this, without repentance, the condition of the heart just simmers. <laughs> it's not been dealt with. And so Esau has not repented of his despising of the things of God. And now, 20 years later, we're running into some problems. Remember the last verse we looked at last week, Genesis 26, 35? 
In 34 and 35, Esau now marries Hittite women, sons of Heth, and he brought grief. He brought grief to his parents. Now women from a polytheistic, a multiple gods in their practice and their religions, now in the camp. He has brought these women now in there. And there is great grief to his parents. And yet, and yet, Isaac loves Esau to a sinful way. And we'll see what the problems that have caused. Let's look at this text now together. First thought here together. Let's look at number one here. As age should bring the blessing of wisdom, not excuses or problems, right? As we age, if we follow God, we, we would want the Lord to bless our lives, to help us, to give us uh, clear, uh, wonderful paths of worshiping Him. But this first verse, look at this verse here. Now it came about, verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here am I. And Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. And so here, this, these few verses now are setting a stage of an extremely important event in the Old Testament. Extremely important. Isaac is old, but I want to challenge your thinking on this. I don't think he's dying. I think this is a, another problem that the family had in the trust of the Lord. So you say, well, Scott, well, how old is he? Why would you say he's not dying? The verse says here that he says he doesn't know when his death is coming. Well, I think, like you, when I first read this text, I tend to think that Isaac's on his deathbed here. Seems a little, like, little bit like Jacob towards the end of Genesis. He's kind of leaning on his bedpost. And he's giving blessings and cursings to the children, right? But it, it, it may not be true. It may be not true that he's on his deathbed. If that were true, maybe you could cut him some slack in this text. But, but I want to show you tonight that if Isaac is still strong and sane, he's, he's sane here, well, that's another story. We have to track his age. We've got to figure out how old he is here. And um, I, I'm not going to bore you with all the work that it took to get to this, but let me just give you a little bit of statistics so you can understand what's going on in this text. So Isaac's age can be tracked, and it can be tracked through the life of his son Jacob and his grandson Joseph. Now, other men have done a ton of work on this, and I used a lot of them to get it. Let me get farther into Jacob's life. When Jacob is brought down, remember um, Joseph has his brothers go get Jacob and move them to the land of Goshen in Egypt. We'll see that in, in I think, somewhere around Genesis 45, somewhere in that, that area. He brings them down. At that time, Jacob's 130 years old. Okay, Joseph is somewhere, uh, actually that's Genesis um, 47.9. Joseph's somewhere about 53 at that time. So when you do all the math and you track backwards all the way to Genesis 27, here's the age of the twins. Do you want to know what the age of the twins are right now in this text? They're probably 77 years old. Isn't that amazing? I think we read this story and we think they're a bunch of teenagers that have attitudes. They're 77 years old. Listen to this. That puts Isaac somewhere very close, give or take a month or two here, at 137. So you go, well, why is that important, Scott? Well, if Isaac is not senile and he's not on his deathbed, we got a problem the way he's handling this situation. And if the boys are not bratty teenagers pulling childish pranks, there's a problem here. 
And let me give you this stat here. Genesis 35, 29 is when Isaac dies. So it tells us he's still quite strong. He, much, he has his wits about him, and he lives another 40 years after this event. So this is not some blind guy that lost his wits and can't think, remember what God told him to do. He is very much in his wits when he is handing out blessings to his supposed son, Esau. So, Jacob and Esau are mature men. They manage, I mean, think about these guys. They manage vast tracts of land and livestock. And the only clear medical problem the text tells us about Isaac is that his eyesight has failed. That's the only thing it really tells us. We know he's going to live another 40 years. Now, you and I look at these ages and we go, oh, wow, you know, he's 130 years old, you know. No, no, that's not bad in this time, (laughs) And God certainly has blessed this family. We saw that with Abraham and and Sarah. We see it now with Isaac and Rebekah. And we'll see it with Jacob. God gives these men and women extraordinary long life. And he blesses them extraordinary. And gives them children in late ages. And so we realize that this is not just a, a senile old man with teenagers pulling pranks on him. I want to say this very clearly. Isaac knew what he was doing. Isaac knew exactly what he was doing in this text. And it seems to be both willing and he's both willing and determined to bless and pass the family leadership and everything on to Esau and not Jacob. And this, think about this. Despite knowing the clear prophecy that God gave him, right? God gave to him and Rebekah before the birth of the twins that the younger would serve the older. God himself gave him that. Despite knowing that, he's going to do everything he can in this text to reverse the will of God and do it his way. Think about some other things. Not only was there clear prophecy given, also despite Esau's um, despising his own birthright and selling it, he had to know that went on. You can't live in a corner when you're in a tent. I mean, it's not like they didn't know that happened. I mean, they're, they're probably 57 years old, and, and, and Esau says, I don't care about my birthright. You know, what does that mean when I'm dying? He wasn't dying. He's just overdramatic and so selfish he could not think forward far enough to realize what he was doing. So everybody knew about this. Now, he also, think about this. He also goes to want to give Esau this birthright and this blessing despite just in the last end of this chapter, the chapter previous, that he's grieved over what Esau's doing with this woman. And yet he still, he sees what he's doing, he knows what he's doing, his heart's grieved on it, he knows it's to get what God wants, and then he's going to still try to give this blessing and birthright to him. Isaac loved Esau beyond the will of God. You say, what does that stand? What does that mean? Well, there are times that parents and family members and friends can love somebody right in through their sin and continue to help hold them in sin. And I think we see that in Isaac's case. Here he loved him beyond the will of God. God's will certainly would have been for Isaac to rebuke Esau. And help try to turn him lovingly, but try to turn him from his evil ways. Finally, it's, it's very clear, and 
and you can mess with this one a little bit if you want, it seems one of the reasons that he wants to do this is he loves his stew. His appetite is actually, there's a portion of this, his appetite's driving this. <laughs> so, so all these reasons are here for him to do what's right, and yet he's holding to these things that are against the will of God. Let me just say a couple things. I want to speak to our seniors just for a moment here. We love you. You are such an important part of the church. In fact, you have the wisdom. You have the years, many of you, of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I just jotted down a few verses to think through. Proverbs 16.31 says, A gray hair is a crown of glory. And listen to this. It is found in the way of righteousness. It's found in the way of righteousness. One of the things that we love about our seniors, those who have a little maturity on them, uh, both spiritually and years, is you teach the next generation the path of righteousness. That's one of your jobs. You teach the path of righteousness. You study the scriptures, you apply your life to those things, and you lead and you teach the younger to follow you. That's what it says. Yes, that gray hair is a crown of glory to you. It's a great statement. Some of yours is a little more glorifying than others, you know, depending on whether you use color or not. <laughs> but the most important part of this verse is it's found in the way of righteousness. Seniors, thank you for walking with the Lord. Strive to do that. Who's going to replace you? Who's coming in the church behind you? Don't run off. <laughs> Walk with the Lord and, and continue to follow his, follow his path. I love Psalm 71, 18. Listen to this. And even when I am old and gray, listen to the psalmist here. Oh God, do not let me forsake you until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Wow. What a statement for elder statement. <laughs> And I think that's great, and that's one of our goals with our seniors. Keep them growing. Keep them loving the Lord. Keep them pushing forward. They're blazing trails for us to come behind them. Don't fall into the trap that Isaac fell into. Don't, don't waste your life. Finish well. Finish well. Set an example for us. Gain biblical Christ-centered wisdom. I love, I'm reading through Proverbs right now in my daily reading, just diving back in. I haven't been in that for years. I'm reading just chapter after chapter, working my way through. And every time I find the word wisdom, I apply the thought of Christ to that. And sometimes, in some passages, you can drop his name right in there instead of the word wisdom. Drop his name right in there. And you gain a great understanding of his glory and his person and a greater desire to follow him. And so as we go through this, Isaac is a bit of a disappointment in this. He's a bit of a disappointment. But I encourage you, seniors, walk with the Lord. Blaze a trail for us who come behind you. Second thought, deception and man manipulation are often the results of lack of faith. We'll take some big tracks of Scripture here now as we work our way down through here. And so as we move into this section, this event unveils a lack, just unveils a lack of faith that exists in the family. And there, there's awful behavior flowing from each of them in there. Um, Proverbs says that out of the heart, the, out, out of the heart springs of life flow, right? So whatever's in your heart eventually comes out, and we see it in this text. Look with me at verse 2. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I, I don't know the days of my death. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to die. He just says, I don't know. 
So he's wanting to make sure he can do what he wants to do. He wants to pass this blessing onto Esau despite all that he knows. Verse 3, now, now then please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt, so Esau went to the field for hunt for game to bring it home. Well, right here you begin to see Isaac reject the plan of God. Right here, he says, look, son, I want something to eat. I want that good savory dish. I want that wild game that you're so good at getting and bring it at home. Will you go get that for me? Will you satisfy my appetite? And, and then, so because the, of then, I can get what I want. My soul will bless you. And you can see this deception starting to take place. Uh, Esau doesn't seem to care. He, he, he gave away his birthright, but he does want this blessing. And so now he can say, well, look, man, I can get this blessing if I go out and do this. And I can have... Um, the blessing of my father. Notice that you see that he says, so that my soul, end of verse 4, my soul may bless you. This is something that he knew was part of him, something he was to pass on, something that was very important. And yet he rejected what God wanted from him. Clearly there's a problem in the home. <laughs> Rebecca is listening. She's listening to what Isaac is saying. And she begins to set a trap herself. Look at verse 6. Rebekah then says to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. I think what happens when disobedience happens um, particularly in a, a home or in a church or a place where people who claim the name of God come together and it doesn't get taken care of. It sits and simmers and eventually it's going to boil over. And eventually these things are going to come. This was a long time coming, this problem, this, this, this disobedience uh, of who has the birthright and not adhering to what God said had been simmering now for 20 years and now the consequences are coming home. There's also consequences of the way they have been living. And think about this, doubtlessly powerful discussions of the prophecy that was given before the pregnancy had been talked about between Isaac and Rebekah. They had to have talked about that. God's talking to you, <laughs> saying the younger, the, the older will serve the younger. The younger will uh, rule and he'll have, uh, have the blessing and birthright and all those things. They had to have talked about it. And now you have boys that are 77 years old. There's decades of lifestyle and choices. Esau's been choosing things over and over. He's despised the things of God. Their reputations are now established. Esau's godless. It seems Jacob's a little bit of a mama's boy. He's somewhat spiritually spineless at times. Notice verse 7. This is very powerful here. These, some of these words that are used here. Um, Rebecca is now instructing Jacob. He says, bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me. This is what he's telling Esau, that I may, that I may eat and bless you. She's rehearsing what she's heard here. Now look at this phrase, bless you in the presence of the Lord. 
Pana is the Hebrew word here. You know what it means? That I may bless you in the face of God. This is what he told Esau. Now remember, he knows what God said, and yet he's going to defy that. He knows what to do is right, but he does not do it. I'm going to bless you in the face of God. I think sometimes when we sin, we don't realize he's watching. And David's great repentance says, my sin and sin is against you only. He speaks as though God was there watching the sin as he repents of it. And so this is powerful terms here. It's a defying of the prophecy of God. It's defying to the presence of God, saying, I'm going to bless you versus your son, I mean your brother whom God told me to. But notice in verse 8, now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Rebecca now takes charge. She's instigating. She has her hand in this in the middle of all of this. Now, there's so many lessons of trusting the Lord and when we don't here, isn't it? We meddle, right? And, and, and look, there's some things that, that uh, we make decisions together as husbands and wives. We go about our business. We do things. But there are many things. Here's the, here's the key here, brothers and sisters. There are many things that God's word is very clear on. And we need to adhere to those things. That's one of the reasons why we need to read our Bible so we know how God says we should conduct our homes, how we should conduct our lives, our businesses, our, our, our relationships within the church and outside the church. And him who knew what to do but does not do it to him, it is sin. Look at verse 9 through 17. The story begins to start to unfold Rebecca is now conceiving the plan. Look what she does. Go now, talking to Jacob, go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Well, she clearly knows what Papa likes to eat, right? And she knows how to fix it. And so she's concocted a plan here. And Jacob's going, okay, Mom, uh, you know, he's going along with it here. Verse 10 Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Now that's the exact promise God gave. And yet Rebecca here is trying to intercede, step in front of God. Mm, Easy to do, isn't it? Try to over... uh, over care for somebody beyond what God wants him to do. And here he, she has worked her way into that. Verse 11 and 12, we see the resistance of Jacob, right? There's somewhat of a resistance. Jacob answers his mother, Rebecca. <laughs> well, it's, it's not so much resistance like, Mom, this is wrong. But notice what he says. Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Well, I think we might understand that they're not identical twins at this point. But there's a clear difference in him. He says this, Jacob says here in his resistance, perhaps my, my father will feel me. <laughs> then I will be as a deceiver in his sight. And I, will bring, and I will bring about myself a curse, not a blessing. Notice the terms he uses. Wait a minute. Folks, are you not catching on? You're deceiving him now. <laughs> but only if I get caught, then I'm a deceiver. See how that works? Well, it's only wrong if you get caught. Right? Remember somebody telling me, hey, speeding's only wrong if you get caught. <laughs> he says, look, uh, mom, this could backfire. I'm a smooth-skinned man. He's a hairy man. I get caught, I'm, I'm going to get a curse, not the blessing that we're all after here. Notice verse 
13, she comes back and says, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So Rebecca now insists and, and almost, look, manipulates. Your, the curse will be on me. What, what, what son would allow this to happen? Mom, I don't want you being cursed. This is not God's will. This is what Jacob should have said, right? And, and yet he lets his mom go on with a plan and doesn't seem to stand up. Verse 14, so he went. He caves here, doesn't he? He went and he got them and he brought them to his mother and his mother made the savory food such as his father loved. Now, Rebecca, she's thinking ahead here. Here's her trickery. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her son, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and he put them on Jacob, her son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth parts of his neck. And so also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. And so now it's hatched. The food's been cooked He's wearing Esau's garment. He has the skins of those young goats. I don't know if you've ever held a young goat. They're little, short little hairies. But if you, if you felt that, and, and I look at this and I go, hmm, I might have figured this out. But whatever the case is, he doesn't, as, the, as we know the story goes on. But here now we come into um, a real problem. And, and I want to think just for a minute about that. The plans hatch. Rebecca's conceived the plan. Jacob's resisted the plan. Rebecca's insisted on the plan. Jacob caves on the plan. And, and now it's going forward. And you say, well, if this doesn't happen, if Esau gets blessed and Jacob doesn't, what does that happen? I mean, how does, what's going to happen to the nation of Israel? What's going to go on? Esau's already intertwined with, with pagan women. I mean, what's going to happen? Maybe Rebecca's just trying to save the day. Does God need our help that way? <laughs> I mean, how, how weak is he? I mean, we have to think through those things. Can, can he handle this? Can he figure things out? And it's just a good point of application here as we think through this. Are there areas in my life or your life that we seem to try to manipulate God to get him to do what we want him to do? Maybe you do it with just your own personal life. If I go to church and I give money, maybe God will bless me. God doesn't work that way. And despite their problems, despite what they chose, God seems to work everything out anyway, doesn't he? And, and this is the great lesson of Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for those who, are, those who are loved by God to those who are called according to his purpose. And so he seems to work this out. Even though God uses lack of faith, which is still sin, God says, don't test me. I can do these things. And we have to look at our lives sometimes and go, Lord, is there an area that I'm crossing lines? I'm inching my foot across that line because I just don't trust that you're going to get this done in time. That you're going to come, come through when I need you to come through. Is he not a great God? Is he not perfect? See, this is why we, people say, uh, excuse me, Peter says this, he goes, it is not difficult for me to teach these things to you again. It's because we have to be reminded of this, right? We hear this sermon and we go, man, Lord, I think there's some things in my life that I need to back off and let you fulfill. But tomorrow morning, the bills are due, you know, we've got to deal with the kids and, and something's going on with the grandkids across the nation. Or, I mean, all that stuff starts hitting us and we forget, so I remind ourselves, God is strong. God can accomplish these things. 
Don't get ahead of him. When we get ahead of God, it creates such a mess. Have you ever been there? Anybody been out there? I've been out in the desert. You know, God, where are you? Man, it's lonely out there when you get ahead of him. You get planning out ahead of God. You haven't beseeched him. You haven't worked with him. You haven't studied his word. You have not done things his way. And you find yourself out there feeling very alone, very lost, very hopeless, and depression falls on you. Because we decided to launch out somewhere on our own and to do things our way versus God's way. Brings us to point three. Determined to do God's will, not your own. Verses 18 through 27. Look at these story here. Let me just read this down and I'll make a few comments. Then he came to his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat for my game, uh, of my game that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have You have done this so quickly, my son. And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voices are the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss, my, kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garment, he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Well, here, I want you to note, as we just think through this little section here just briefly, note how many times Isaac tries to make sure he's dealing with Esau. This is sad, but I want you to note, we sometimes will set our heels in against the will of God, and we will we'll do anything we possible to make it come true the way we want it to happen. Listen to what he does. First, in verse 20, notice this, that Isaac is surprised that Esau, who is really Jacob, is back so soon. So he's, they're, they're already right here. He's, he should have recognized this, but he wants to bless Esau so, so bad he can't put two and two together, and he, but he actually says, how'd you get back so quickly? Because remember, Jacob's got to get this done before Esau shows up. And so he He's warned right there, but he wants so badly to do his will, he doesn't catch that this timing is not right. Second, notice in verse 21 that Isaac demands to feel Jacob, who he thinks is Esau, in order to know him. So he's so desperate to make sure he's doing this to Esau, right? I mean, this could be anybody. I can't see. I'm blind. This could be anybody. He's so desperate to, do, to go against what God's will is, he's now feeling his son. He's feeling him to see if it is him. Third, verse 22, notice that Isaac inquires about the voice of Jacob, whom is presuming to be Esau. He says, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Let me tell you this. If you want to sin against God and you want to do something on your own will more than the will of God, you will fool yourself into things. 
I mean, I've thought long and hard about this. I think I can tell the difference between Colton and Connor hearing them. I think that's Connor. I think that's Colton. I don't know. He may be 130. Maybe you don't know. But, uh, but when you want to do something, all I'm telling you, you know this. Does anybody know? When you know you want to go. Anybody ever been done something that you knew God shouldn't, really didn't want you to do? I mean, be honest now. You just blow through stop signs like no tomorrow. What was that, honey? I think it was a stop sign. Ah, oh, we didn't need that anyway. There was nobody coming. Right? Fourth, notice in, in verse 24, he directly asks questions of Jacob, who he thinks is his son. Are you really my son Esau? He's working very hard to bless Esau, isn't he? Despite what God has said. Fifth, verse 25, Isaac eats the food from Esau to verify it, right? He, or from Jacob, thinking it's Esau. He even eats the food because he knows, he knows Jacob, uh, Esau's cooking. So he's, he's going through all of these things. He wants the blessing to go to Esau. And then finally, 6, verse 26 and 27, Isaac pulls Jacob, who he thinks is Esau, pulls him close and gives him the old sniffer test. Right? One last check. Because I know my son. It's almost something women would do, right? Women have such an incredible sense of smell, especially when they're pregnant. They can smell anything. So you see, hey, come give me a kiss. <laughs> oh, must be Esau. Smells like him. He is so intent on blessing him. And he's determined to fulfill his own will, not God. This is a blatant, think about the blatant disregard for his example of leadership. And dads, when we fail to determine what God's will for our life and, and, and understand, and we understand what God has called us to do, and then we don't do it, your children are watching. And we distort the view of God. We actually distort God. Well, God must not care. Dad just went right through the stop sign. You know? And, and you know, our, our children will always go even faster than we will. And so it's, it's blatant disregard of the leadership role. Poor example. Now, Rebecca also, think about her in this text. Rebecca was determined to help God fulfill his will. Certainly, God can't get this done, so I'm going to have to step in and help here. And she conceives and hatches this plan. Now, and I'll think about this, ladies. Not to mention, she's deceiving her own husband. And, and that's what happens so often in our marriages because we don't trust God. So deception starts to come in. So if I can manipulate my husband to get something done or manipulate my wife to get something done, then I get my will where I want it. She again is setting a difficult example and, and she has pagan women in her tent now. Ones that don't know God. Not the true and living God and yet she has set a poor example. When we get to Jacob, it's a little more difficult in some ways. I read several commentaries this week on this. And it's interesting, there's quite a few commentaries that protect the integrity of Jacob. And they all kind of say, well, he didn't know what was going on, and, and we have to protect him because he's going to be, he is the seed of Israel and all that stuff. And I don't know, think about this. Either by deception or spinelessness, he clearly displays his lack of faith. Look at verse 18 and 19. I don't know what you do with this. And he came into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob says to his father, Is this not wrong? I am Esau, your firstborn. 
did I miss something that lying wasn't in <laughs> a problem? <laughs> I, I, I'm your firstborn, I'm Esau. Please get up and, and sit and eat my game. Whoa, wait a Lie number two, it's not your game. You went out and got mama's goats. <laughs> that was a tough hunting trip. <laughs> Go on a little bit with the second. Look at verse 20. Isaac says to his son, how is this that you've had this so quickly, you've done this so quickly, my son? He says, now look at this. Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Uh-oh. Am I reading that right? Because it looks as though he is now bringing God into the equation. He's, he's, he is in a way including God into the wicked plan. Isn't that what it says? Because the Lord your God caused this to happen? I think God had another plan, but you didn't stay with it. Follow along just a little farther. Third, look at 21 and 22. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voices are the voice of Jacob and the hands are the hands of Esau. And so there is blatant misrepresentation of himself. He had to dress himself different, smell like himself different. It's a total misrepresentation of himself. Fourth, look at verse 24. Look at this. He said, look at this. This is Isaac. Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. You know, lying is a terrible thing. You lie once, what happens? You lie again. This is a perfect passage to teach, teach that, doesn't it? And, it, and it? and it just goes on. Verse 27 He's wearing a, a clothes of Jacob to deceive. So I, I didn't quite understand what some of the commentators are saying there. I have some thoughts. We'll get to them just in a moment. But Jacob's very well embroiled into this. Maybe he didn't conceive the plan. Maybe, maybe he, he was just going to try to trust God, but he didn't stand when he needed to stand against his mom. And now, now he's in trouble. And so now we get to verse the end of verse 27, now the deed is done. Isaac has convinced himself he's blessing Esau. Jacob and Rebekah's deception has worked. Esau has got really what he deserves in, in a sense, but he's still out in the field running around trying to get a deer or something. This, this was no spur-of-the-moment emotional decision. This was planned out. This was planned out. And these were all cleverly devised plans in lack of trust of God. And there's my thought, final thought on this point was, I think Satan was smiling ear to ear. Remember, he, he's got to stop that seed from getting to the cross. He knows the promises of Genesis 3.15. He knows that the seed's going to come from the woman. That seed's going to crush his head someday. He knows enough about that. And he is smiling ear to ear that these two boys, Jacob being the promised heir, is now embroiled in absolute lies and deception. But God is greater than that. God's greater. Notice in verse 28. The blessings and the birthright come. Verse 28, he goes ahead, and this is Jacob speaking. Now may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the abundance of the grain and new wine. That's the blessing. And boy, did that blessing stick with Jacob, whether he deserved it or not. And what a great lesson that is. Everything he touched turned to prosper, prosperity. He took spotted lambs and created more. We'll see when he gets with Laban, and he just plummets Laban's flock. 
Everything he does turns gold in a lot of ways. He is blessed by God, though he does not deserve it. Verse 29 is the birthright. He now has the birthright. He's now the first, looked at as the firstborn. May people serve you. May nations bow down to you. Look at this. Be master of your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. There's the, there's the great birthright that he already had received from Jacob. And then finally, this last little phrase here in verse 20, it's the exact quote almost out of the Abrahamic covenant, chapter 12, verse 3. Curse be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And here, God did not need their help. He used their wickedness to bring about his will, but he did not need it. But the consequences are eternal, aren't they? Esau despised the things of God. It, it threw him a wrong way. He's now running down. He's going to create the nation of Edomites. I mean, problems for years and years to come with Israelites and the Edomites. But listen to this. The seed of Christ could not be stopped. No matter how poor decisions they made, how even sinful they, they acted, the seed of Christ could not be stopped. These events um, produced great opposition all along the way. These events, when you study this out, what happens with Esau and where he goes from here on out, as he's going to get a blessing here in a minute, but it's not a good one, um, it is going to cause ramification for years to come. Four, disobedience creates division, bitterness, and heartbreak. We'll have to move through this quickly, and even hatred. Look at verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of, his, of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He then made savory food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father rise, eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. It seems the dishes are barely done. He walks out one side of the tent and in walks Esau. He's after that blessing. He knows the power of what God said, what's going to come with all of that. Verse 32, Isaac, the father, said to him, who are you? You can imagine the scene, can't you? And he said, I'm your son. Notice this, your firstborn, Esau. That's exactly what Jacob said. But here, maybe for the first time in a while, Esau is not being deceptive. He's not acting foolishly. He has come in to get his birthright. He is coming to get his blessing. Look at the response in verse 33. It's, it's really clear, particularly in the Hebrew. Isaac is trembling violently. His plan has failed. He did exactly opposite of what he intended to do. God superseded what he was going to do, and he is trembling. Now, there's a lot of thought here. Is he trembling at the fear of what happened before God, and God has corrected this, or is he upset because he didn't get his way? I don't know. I mean, uh, there's some writers that say here he's starting to realize what he has done. And he said, who was, then, who was he then that hunted game and brought to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. Well, that's quite a statement right there. He's, that means I blessed him. He's going to be blessed. He receives it. There's no turning back. This is he's getting this. Maybe here he's coming finally going, oh, wow. Maybe I did what God 
wanted to do despite my ill intentions. Verse 34, when Esau heard these words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even, me also my father. The text is so clear that there is no repentance. There's sorrow, but there's no repentance. He's not repentful of his life, he said. He's not repentful of taking women and bringing them in against God's will, against the family's will. He's not, he's not repentful to giving up on the things of God the way God wanted it done and giving up all that God had for his appetite. Verse 35, he says, Your brother came deceitfully. The word means treacherously. And has taken away your blessing. Seems that. There is great sorrow here on Esau, but 2 Corinthians 7.10 says there is a sorrow of the world that produces death. Isaac blames Jacob here in verse 35. Notice that. He blames, he says, your brother. He was treacherous in what he did. He's creating animosity between the sons. All this because the family hasn't obeyed. Verse 36, then he said, Is he not named rightly Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, see how deceived when you, when you live foolishly and act foolishly and decide to sin what happens to your mind? You sold it for a bowl of soup. You're, you're the fool. You're the one who, who lived a godless way. Notice, he says, he has taken away my birthright. And notice the differences. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he got them both. We saw that. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 records this about Esau. He says, for you, for you know that even afterwards, speaking about Esau, when he desired to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Isn't that in that text right there? He's, he cries out, Father, exceedingly great and bitter cry. There's no, no room for repentance. It's just, I lost. This is unfair. It's a mess, isn't it? <laughs> and God's going to win. God's going to win because he wins. That's what God does. He doesn't, he's not dependent upon you and I. He's going to win. But you realize, I think the lesson here is, is how difficult we get ourselves into problems when we don't obey him. Verse 37, but Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master. Just like God said in chapter 25, verse 23, he will, the younger will rule over the older. He says, I have made him your master. That was the birthright. And all his relatives I've given to him as servant. There's his birthright. You, you now have everyone. You have the right to the firstborn. So everything I have is your son. That's what he gave him. And he also gave him the blessing. And with grain and new wine, I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you not have one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. There's that uh, sorrow without repentance that Hebrews speaks about. Verse 39, then Isaac, his father said, answered and said to him, want a blessing? Here you go. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. You know what that means? Nothing's going to grow for you. 
That's, he's talking about water. <laughs> you're not going to get that. You're not going to be where the land is fertile. You're going to run into difficult places. You're going to go out in the rocks and the hills, and you're going to be there. That's going to be your life. Verse 40, here comes the difficult part. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck and you go, well, what's that talking about? Because we'll see the story goes back and there's a little bit of mending between Jacob and Esau. I think it's actually uh, a good text to learn from some things. But he's really speaking of the future, I believe, here. And I believe he's talking about the descendants. And because this trickery and lack of trust in God, Edomites are going to grow strong and Israel is going to battle them for, for years and years and years. And isn't that, you know, sometimes God certainly forgives, but there's consequences to things. We, we warn young people and older people even today about the dangers of immor- immorality. And immorality comes in, in a flash of joy and whatever it may bring but it will bring years of heartache. And that's what happens here and exactly what Esau was already engaged in. He's already started the Edomites. He's taken in Hittite women. And now he's, he's going to run in the rocks. He's going to run out there and be a wild man in a lot of ways and have warriors uh, that will run. And we'll see him later when he shows up to meet Jacob. He comes with all his tribe and all his warriors to meet Jacob to kind of uh, scare him a little bit. And yet in the end, he doesn't have what Jacob has. Verse 41, so Esau bore a grudge. Man, parents, your children are so uniquely different. They're all truly gifts from God. Some of them may struggle a little more than others, but do not help that struggle. These parents now have helped push the sinfulness of Esau a little more and he now has a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him in verse 41 here and Esau said to himself the days of mourning of my father are near dad's going to die soon he's pretty healthy right now but there's a day come and then I will kill my brother Jacob that's why I put in here disobedience creates division bitterness heartbreak and hatred that's what it does if we don't repent of disobedience this is what comes with it great hatred I mean, you can just see it in there. Can't you see it bleeding out of this verse? Day's coming. I'm going to kill him. Now, verse 42, and when the words of the elder, her elder son, Esau, were reported to Rebekah, somebody's listening. This is a big camp. There's a lot of people there. She sent and called for her younger son, Jacob, no doubtlessly hiding somewhere, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise and flee to Haran. Here's the division now. Now the family's finally been back together all these years and now sin is going to drive them apart again. Flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. And now look at this. This is the naivety of the problems of sin. Oh, maybe it'll go away. Stay with him a few days until your brother Fury decides. You know how long he stays with Laban? 20 years. Seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, and six years for that flock that he had to get. 20 years he's gone, and in a few days. 
This is what sin does. It just pushes people away where God wants us together. It pushes it away. And particularly unrepentive sin. And so he says, she says, until your brothers, verse 45, anger against you subsides and he forgets. Hmm. I don't think he forgot what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why? Now listen to the statement that she says. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? I know I'm going to lose Esau through this because he, he's going to figure out I had my hand in this. And if he kills you, I'm going to lose both of you. And in a sense, I think she lost Esau right there. Esau goes off, starts his own tribe, does a bunch of stuff. He's, and really, she lost them both for 20 years because she failed to trust the Lord. Finally, in verse 46, you see this heavy heart. Rebecca says, Isaac, Isaac, now you're talking here. I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. Really? You think that's the only problem? (laughs) I mean, these girls are a pain. They're total pagans. You've let them into your house. You grieved over what your son did, but you didn't stop it. They're there. They're in your house. You've let this big trickery, this big deception take place, and you aided it. Yeah, I'm tired of living. This is such a good lesson for it, isn't it? I know it's hard, and it's not the most happiest lesson in the world. But this is what sin does. It robs joy. It kills families. And, and, and I, just, I read this today as I was finishing this up. I said, oh, she's tired of living now. That's what happens. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? That's a hopeless verse, isn't it? I mean, in a way. Consequences abound. But God is in this. And he's in our mistakes too. I want you to know that. He's greater than our sin. He is. And he hears the cries of a repentful person. And he brings grace. And I tell people all the time that have fallen into sin and things are a mess. I said, let's pray for God's grace and the consequences. Let's pray that he's gracious and merciful. Let's see, let's beg him, let's get on his terms instead of ours. Let's see what he'll do. And so finally, just a few closing thoughts here, just practically, how how do we avoid this kind of hardship? Well, believe God's word. Come on, Scott, believe it. Don't just read it. Just don't say, oh, that's a great sermon. Believe it. I think we just don't believe it some days. We manipulate. We don't trust and, and believing has to move to obeying, right? Scott has to say, oh, that's true, now do it. <laughs> if God is worthy of his glory, if Christ is worthy of his death and resurrection on my behalf, isn't it, isn't it something worthy of me? Shouldn't it be worth it to live for him? So much hardship would be avoid it. I mean, we live in a fallen world, brothers and sisters. There's always going to be troubles. Everything's breaking down. Everything is getting worse, really. New cancers, new diseases, new problems all the time. This is what sin, this is what, exactly what God said would happen. And yet, we compound it when you and I say, oh God, I think I know what you mean, but I'm going to do this anyway. <laughs> and so seek righteousness. Here, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Seek righteousness. 
Not self-righteousness. <laughs> righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Doing things right according to God. Seek righteousness. In our relationships, in our friendships, in our businesses, um, in our neighborhoods, whatever it may be, seek to do what's right. If you don't know at that moment, say, can I, can I get back to you? Go home and pray and ask God to help you. Search his word to seek what is right. React to the spirit. You know, one of the great blessings of a believer, he put his own spirit in us. In you and me. And you know it, you know it. If you're saved in here and you step in an area outside of God's will, he will bang on your heart, won't he? And the word of God will come out and go, oh, I know I shouldn't do that. Be sensitive to the spirit. Be quick to repent when you do sin. You are going to sin. I'm going to sin. We are going to sin. We are, we are not Christ. We're being conformed to him, but we are going to sin. So how long do we want to stay in it and how much of a mess do you want to cause? Once you know about it, once God reveals it, repent of it. And live with peace with men on your part as far as you can. You know, some of these relationships you can't fix, right? It's going to take 20 years for Jacob and Esau to see each other again. Do your part. Put out the olive branch. <laughs> Walk in righteousness. Do what's right. Don't compromise. Don't compromise, but do what's right. And you'll have peace, even in hard times. Tough chapter, huh? In a way. But very convicting, isn't it, as we study these things? Father, thank you for the lessons here that others went through so we can learn from. But most of all, Lord, before we think through that, we want to thank you that you are greater than man's sin. And though we and the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Bible at time choose godlessness and overt from your plan, you supersede. You always win. You know the plan and you will not, you will not be thwarted. And we worship you, Lord. And this attack on your seed is going to go all the way to right to the cross. Through generation after generation, Satan is going to attack, attack, attack. And your son is going to know the hour. And he won't miss it. And he will die for you, for us. He will die because you sent him. He will die for us. He will take our place. He will be our substitute. You will accept his offering of himself, his blood for us. You will wash our sins away. You will raise him from the dead. He will reign forever and he will gather us to be with him soon. Lord, help that truth sink into our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are in this room and are, this text may be a little more real to them than others. Give them strength, Lord. Strengthen them to obey God's word. That is the best thing for anyone of their family members, their friends, or someone they're dealing with, is that someone obeys God, even when it's hard. May we do it lovingly and gracious and not self-righteous. But may we choose to do what's right according to your word, Lord. Heal relationships, Lord. Give forgiveness and repentance. Restore these things, Lord, for your glory. We praise you for this lesson in Jesus' name. Amen.